everybody, and welcome to the 409th episode of MTG Fast Finance, the podcast that's following the clues to find the specs that will solve the case of your winter blues. MTG Fast Finance is your weekly podcast covering the world of Magic the Gathering finance, collection management, and speculation. I am your host, James Chilcott, aka at MTG Critic on Twitter. My co-host is Cliff Daigle, aka at Word of Commander on Twitter, and we're here to help you folks make and save money playing our favorite game, Magic the Gathering. Hello, everybody. As always, I'm looking forward to diving into all the developments of the week. But before we do, I want to remind our listeners that this show is produced by mtgprice.com, the leading MTG finance community. Please sign up today at mtgprice.com to plan your specs, chat on a great Discord, and read articles by some of the best financial minds in the hobby. MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. Cliff, before we jump into our agenda for the week, I just wanted to cap off our discussion from last week. We uh, went over our picks... From July of 2022 to June of 2023, and we had broken down for everybody uh, in quite a bit of detail how we did. The short answer is we did pretty well, but we hadn't calculated the annualized returns, so I figured we'd just double back on that for a second. Now, the non-annualized returns for all the picks that I made, and there was, uh, I think there was a total of 115 for me came out to 11.33. The top two-thirds of my picks was 52%, and the top one-third was 88%. Now, we then annualize that in the interim. And what that means is, if something, if you say that something's going to go up 100%, and that happens in a day versus five years, it makes a tremendous difference in the effective return that has been realized. Because let's say that you can make 10% a month every month for 12 months, you're making 120% plus because there's compounding involved. So when you annualize, we take a look at all of my picks. The average number of days to get to peak was 263 days. For the top two thirds, it was 202 days. And for the top one third, it was 205 days. What that means is all of my non-annualized returns are underestimating the actual value. So my annualized numbers were 16%, 113% for the top two thirds, and 208% for the top one third. This is comparable to last year, uh, where I had fairly similar numbers. My annualized last year was 33 instead of 16. So obviously a little better last year. Uh, but the top two thirds and the top third were very similar. My top two thirds was 118 last year versus 113 this year. My top one third was 248 last year versus 208 this year. So a little bit of a of a downswing overall, but still very respectable numbers. I mean, if you're if you're ignoring even a third of the cards I discuss and cards to watch, you're still looking at 113% returns. Subtract fees and shipping, and you're still going to be doing 90% plus per annum, which is very good indeed. And over in Cliff's court, uh, a lot of the same kind of news. His non-annualized total was 16%, annualized was 25 so beats me there and looking very good. 
only a little bit down from his annualized on everything last year from 29 to 25. On his top two thirds, he's doing 67, so I beat him there, uh, and he was down from his 109% last year. But when we include his top one third, he's very similar to me. He was at 208%, but that is down from his 319%, very impressive last year on your top one third. Overall, if you're discarding a third of our picks, you're doing great. If you're discarding two thirds of our picks, you are probably sailing. Now, uh, the annualized uh, would the uh, I'm a I'm a science teacher, not a statistician. Sure. So, uh, if I say if my annualized were uh, are better in terms of percentages, would you say that it? Uh, got there faster would that be a quicker way to say that it means that on average our picks take last less than a year to get to their peaks or troughs okay so that makes that makes more sense because i'm i'm like i said last week i've been trying to choose things that have a specific target in mind rather than just good card that got cheap and so having things in mind and being able to get out in a peak within a few months has been my target for around nine months now and i'll be interested to see what my numbers look like next year when this plan of mine has reached more of a uh, fruition there's there's also a boundary here that's naturally defined by the fact that we're only looking at a one-year snapshot and it's 18 months old at the oldest pick so nothing can be older than that inside the snapshot um so it's hard to where but the reality is say i have a pick that i call from 10 to 20 and it slides from 10 to 6 well, we're going to credit ourselves with the worst possible date, which would be the most recent date. So in this case, January 2nd. But that thing could continue right. to slide for another three years and get worse and worse and worse, just like a card going <laughs> up could, could, in theory, get better and better and better. We're not going to go down those rabbit holes too far, nor have we ever gone back and looked at you know five, six, seven-year returns or anything like that. I think in the era of reprints, there's there's limited value to be gleaned there. Suffice to say that within these relatively... Uh, contained pockets of activity, you know, anything from a three-month window to a three-year window, things look pretty good. Uh, if you're, especially if you're participating in the discussions in the Discord after the fact, and you're vetting things further, and then kind of figuring out your targets. Yeah, the Discord is probably, uh, if we were able to chart just the chatter in there, that's probably more po- profitable than you or I. I. I think if you take the best of the Discord, that's for sure true. I mean, because that includes. Right. All the, all the additional. Well, the Discord, the Discord is day, I'm also figuring is that, moment by moment, day by day commentary from all of our staff, all of our mods, all of the vendors that are in the group, all of the high end speculators and collectors, the TCG player vendors, etc. So you get that hive mind effect that we've referred to before. Yeah, they'll also talk you out of some places where you'd be better off setting your money on fire. So there's value in that as well. So good job, us. Uh, thank you for doing the math on this as somebody who has to do the math every set. I appreciate it when somebody else has to get down into the nitty gritty. Fair enough. So why don't you take us through our uh, segments for the week? This week, we've got five awesome segments. We're going to lead off with a modern showcase and pioneer showcase in our metagame week in review. Then segment two is our top movers in paper, some fun non-foils and some fun foils. Segment three is our top movers online, followed by our cards to watch. You and I have some great picks. And then we've got uh, segment five. We want to make sure we've got our uh, ducks in a row in terms of uh, what's happening. 
All right, kicking things off with segment one, the metagame week in review. We're going to look at the showcase challenges on Magic Online from this past weekend, the first week of January 2024. We're kicking, uh, taking a look at Modern Showcase Challenge from January 6th. This was taken down by Amulet Titan. This is uh, followed up by Black Green Yogmoth. Black Red Scam was in fourth. I noticed that four Ragavan are back in that version of the deck. Shardless Rhinos was in 5th and 7th, Blue-Red Murktide in 6th, 4-Color Omnath in 8th, which includes 4 Omnath, 4 Solitude, and 4 The One Ring. Probably the most notable deck in this top 8 was the 3rd place list, which was a Merfolk, uh, updated Merfolk list. Notable that this is still running 4 Aethervile, 4 Cavern of Souls, 4 Mutavolt. They have 4 Vodalian Hexcatcher out of Dominaria United. They have two Deep Root Pilgrimage out of LC, uh, LCI, and four Civilin of Sea and Sky, and four Rashadan Dockhand out of Modern Horizons 2. It's a good list. There's uh, people out there who are always big on the fish, and this one is you know looking really good. The enchantment that makes more Merfolk every time you tap a Merfolk that's a great one to land out there in case of control deck or somebody wants to board wipe. All it takes is one merfolk and you can start restocking everything. It's also nasty that those merfolk that Pilgrimage makes have hexproof. Yeah. So, uh, plus half the deck is lords, more than half the deck it seems like. So there's a, a lot of good stuff going on there. And they've got three, they're packing three force of negation in case they need to deal with a stray sweeper. How far has Ether fallen? And man, that used to be all over the place. And now uh, people are like, one mana? Why would I want a one mana spell? I cascade into zero mana. The main issue with Aether Vial is that humans couldn't keep up with the meta. And so there's really only Merfolk viable for modern top eight tribal potential. I guess alongside Goblins. I think we've seen a couple of Goblins lists in the top eight in the last year as well. Some have floated around, yeah. Uh, over in the Pioneer Showcase Challenge, it was taken down uh, on January 7th by Blue-Red Arclight, which was also in 5th and 8th. I noticed that the 8th place list was opting to run 4 Picklock Prankster out of the latest Eldraine set. 5-color Niv, Mizzet, and Omnath was in 2nd, Lotus Field in 3rd. Black-Red Midrange in 4th and 7th, and they were running 4 and 2 copies of Smuggler's Copter, recently unbanned, respectively. And then the sixth place list was a mono red uh, variant that had four Oger Axinil Deepest Might out of the Lost Caverns of Ixalan. It's looking good. Uh, Pioneer is just a happy looking thing. And Picklock Prankster is so perfectly what the deck wants. It's ridiculous. You choose your best. Uh, it's got the spell. So you just choose your best instant or sorcery out of the top four. And then the rest go right in the yard. So, oh, I put my arc light in the graveyard. How sad. Yeah, there's a bunch of cute things here with Oger where you do little bits of damage, but Oger bumps it up to four. Oh, it's so broken. So good. And it also means that when they play something into Eidolon of the Great Ravel, uh, Oger bumps that up to a four damage penalty. That's pretty outstanding. Can lock people out of the game pretty quick. I thought it was only instant and sorcery spells. You're telling me Oger is all... Oh, that's right, because uh, Red Source deals non-combat damage. So yeah, that's why... Uh, What's-its-face? Pyrohemia went crazy again. Nasty. Yeah. 
Nasty. And there's also like rampaging Ferocidon in there, which is and whenever another creature enters the battlefield, Ferocidon deals one damage to that creature's controller. So <laughs> if you put a couple tokens in, Odor cost says, okay, pay eight. Ugh. That's pretty pretty rough. Pretty cute. All right, moving over to the top, paper movers, all sorts of action. Any, anybody who thinks specs are dead, silly. It's just, just our, our stats for this year look very much like last year. I suspect that the next year will look very similarly. And every week, I, I had to go through something like 120 cards and then pick out the top 16 here or something. This is supposed to be the slow part of the year, folks. And I'm not seeing a slowdown in my eBay sales. And I'm not seeing a slowdown in cards that are rising. I also see hype cycles from the fall continuing on into January with things like dinosaurs still selling well. I was going to say that the the dinosaur deck is so much fun to play with the new one. And, you know, so you can discover all over the place. That's just a free mechanic that you know, commander players love. But we're I'm really impressed at the number of standard cards that are lighting up. Yep. Because uh, the RCQ season is kicking off. And for all that, there's a lot of uh, belly aching and whining about how things aren't the way they were. Uh, there is a lot of standard being played. And as a result, there is a lot of cards on the move when it is the format that people are having to care about. Ixalan really having an effect on EDH. The Out of the top 10 commanders of the last month, we have two dinosaur commanders in first and second. So Pant, Laza, Sun Favored, the one I'm building, and Gishath, Sun's Avatar, are first and second. That's a total of 5,000 decks reported just on EDH Rec. So think about what cards those people had to go buy to build decks if they didn't have a dinosaur collection previous. And then you have Hack Battle of the Surging Soul, uh, green, blue, Merfolk Commander in fourth with almost 2,000 decks. And then Edgar Markov is still the preferred vampire lord of choice. Uh, to be played as your commander with all of those new vampire cards from Exelon. So between all of the above, that's something like seven to 8,000 decks reported on EDH Rec that are the direct result of, of interest generated by Lost Caverns. Yep, and it, like you said, this is supposed to be the slow time of year. Who knew? Looking at these top paper movers, Quartzwood Crasher Extended Arts, a card that was in one of your articles not long ago. That's a Ikoria card, and it went six fifty to nine dollars, thirty almost forty percent gains on Dino Hype. Somebody was uh, mentioning in our Discord that they saw the professor had a TikTok clip or something where it did a whole bunch of damage in uh, in a commander game. Last March of the Ents Borderless Poster version, eighteen to twenty six, forty four percent gains as poster cards continue to be targeted and are draining out on TCG Player. Unwinding Clock, the original version from New Phyrexia, uh, 650 to 10, that's 54%. I think this was reprinted in Brothers War, was it not? I thought it was. Let's see. Yeah, it's in the uh, retro artifact pack. You can even get serialized versions. It was in a couple other spots, like a commander deck, and it was on the list for a while as well. And those foils are about it's 8 or $9 right now. So... If you, if you like Unwinding Clock, you might want to take a look at those schematic foils sooner rather than later. I'm looking at an upward trend over the last three months uh, for those old border foils. One Ring Borderless out of Lord of the Rings, 32 to 57. These are the ones that are not in the gift bundles. The gift bundles have the foil version. I think the non-foil can only appear in the original summer Lord of the Rings CBs, if I'm not mistaken. I believe that is correct, yes. The non-foils. 
So that's 78% gains on those in the last couple of weeks. And I did a pretty solid survey of vendors in Europe, Japan, Canada, and the U.S., uh, over the weekend looking at what's going on with the one ring and that card is out of stock at almost every major vendor down to like the last two or three copies in a lot of places some vendors just kind of completely sold out uh, japan has premium pricing on it highest prices in the world over there and a lot of the best versions of this card have been rising uh, the one ring borderless poster version i think i bought the last copy on ebay today that was under 300 it was like 277 or something and then after that it's like 350 plus and i pinged the discord after a discussion we had about that version last week following up and saying you know if you want these this is probably your last shot because these look very much like they're headed to 350 to 500 and they're going to be in sync with the original foil extended art versions uh, yeah, the, the all the different versions, we're only going to go up from here. The The most basic version from the original Somerset is a $65 card. And I think right now it's easiest to find assorted copies from the uh, scene, the, the scene versions from the uh, the bundle, right? The bundle had a scene version, if I no. am not mistaken. Of the mistaken. One Ring, no. No, this, this, what am I thinking this, of? The gift bundle has a foil borderless. Gotcha, 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 yes. And then so there's scene versions, and then there's the scroll version, which is my personal favorite. But all of these are just like underscoring that when they sat down to make the one ring, they were like, okay, we need to make this a busted-ass card. And they have succeeded. <laughs> it's a massive S-tier staple. And if it had been in a standard set at christ and was playable in pioneer and standard this thing would just be absolutely everywhere uh so fortunately that's not the way they went there sunfall out of uh march in the machine 550 to 10 on heavy standard play that's almost 80 percent gains on a sweeper which is uh not something we see every day i think the last big sweeper gains was meat hook massacre the fall and winter that that came out Gix, Yogmoth Praetor, Extended Arts out of Brothers War, pretty much all versions of this card up. Uh, this particular version, 9 to 18 on heavy standard play and a smattering of EDH play. Abolith Spawn out of Commander Legends Battle for Baldur's Gate, $1.50 to $3, 100% gains on 21,000 reported decks on EDH Rec. We've also got Clever Concealment, which is kind of a one of several options in white to protect your board. Uh, I think that's the one that phases out whatever you want on your side. Yeah, and it's got Convoke. Right. So I th I've got this in Ginny Fey, I'm pretty sure. Going 12 to 24. It's the top ONC card on EDH track at 41,000 reported and 4% of all white decks. That seems good. So very much setting up as a white staple. I also went and took a look at my copies of Godzilla Doom Inevitable this weekend and flagged it for the Discord that they had risen significantly. This is a borderless and borderless foil version that was available associated with Ikoria Collector Boosters. And I had six or seven of them in stock and they'd just been sitting around languishing. And now on TCG Player, they're headed for $30 to $40. And on eBay, I was able to get out of a couple of copies around 20 And it looks like they will sh shortly dry up there and I'll be able to push towards that $30 mark. Very, very good time to be getting out of things like Gix, Sunfall, Godzilla, 
other dinosaur things, quartz would crash or et cetera. This is your setup, folks. If, you, if you're holding these from CBs you or collections you bought or inventory you're holding, this is when you want to sell. It's uh, doubled in just the last two months, this Godzilla card, on the back of the dino hype because it qualifies as a dinosaur. As bad as you might feel if it keeps going up, you're going to feel a lot worse if it starts going down and you missed on your opportunity to sell out. So yep. you should go ahead, take your profits, get on out while you can. Don't don't hold on until you, you get enough for you know a fancy trip someplace. Get your profits and move Are on. Are there any dinosaurs in Fallout lore? Um, let's see. I'm going to look real quick because I know that they have death claws and I'm not sure if they put in death claws as a dinosaur or if they put it in as a lizard. It's a lizard. So I'm going to say no, there's no fallout dinosaurs. Okay. Probably no dinosaurs in the Western set, but who knows? Probably. But we're going to get, you know, we, we're getting the Jurassic Park stuff. We got some special guests. We got a lot of dinosaur accessories right now. And it's going to take a while for people to be dinosaur out. We're going to need some really new, amazing things. And I think Fallout is going to be part of it. But we'll see what uh, the Ravnica clue and uh, murders at Markov Manor give us. Jace, the perfected mind, out of all will be won three to eight dollars on standard play. That's a hundred and seventy percent gains on a underestimated planeswalker. Might be a time to take another look at the oil slick versions as well and cross-reference against EDH play to see where that ends up. Chromatic Orrery, the LCC version out of Lost Caverns of Ixalan. This is the borderless premium version only available in CBs. Foils going $26 to $70. Basically hollowed out and targeted on TCG player. 60,000 EDH rec decks leading to 170% gains if you can get out near that new plateau. If I was in near 20, I'm going to be real happy with 40 to 50, let alone 70. Yeah, this is the only special version that you can find, so... I'm not surprised that a super popular commander card that was given the special treatment uh, decided to pop off this way. It's not like the other versions were cheap, but this one being the special art, this is destined to really uh, hit some highs, and, and it did. Carrying on with the borderless poster targeting, Arwen Mortal Queen foils out of the holiday Lord of the Rings release from November. 8 to 25, 200% plus gains if you can actually exit on an Arwen. I never like when these trend lines, you know, surge foils, uh, silver screen foils, borderless poster foils, etc. start to include the very mid cards that aren't getting played in a ton of decks. Arwen is is good in like Atraxa creature counters, but is a relatively niche card overall for EDH purposes and certainly has no modern applications. So if you can get out over 20 and you got in your 6 to 8, you know, do that for sure. Minas Tirith borderless surge foils out of the holiday release of Lord of the Rings 5 to 15 and headed up 200% gains. It's clearly been targeted. The market price is still at $6 and but there's hardly any copies left on TCG player. This was Oh, this was Cabal Coffers. No. Minas Tirith is is a new card. It's not Oh no, that's Miras Yeah, I'm sorry. Minas Tirith is the one that lets you draw cards if you've attra- attacked with two creatures this turn. So I run it in Genevieve. Gotcha. Gotcha. That seems like a really good card. I can't keep up with all these cards, James. There's <laughs> a lot going on. Sir Conrad the Grim Secret Layer version foils. Uh, $15 to $60, 300% gains. Sir Conrad the Grim is quietly in 153,000 decks on EDH Rec. 
And if you, it's pretty amazing. And if you've ever seen it in play, you'll understand why. It just triggers all the time. <laughs> and It's really, really ridiculous how many people will have stuff die and how many times stuff will get put out. This is everybody's favorite mill card enabler. And this is a really cool secret version, secret layer version. You get this or the special store handout for a uh, retro frame. So this is the only way to get a special one. And this special one looks badass. So I'm not surprised at all to see this pop off. I'm a little surprised to see it closing in on 50 or $60, but I'm not surprised to see people want this art. The art's very nice. And then the yeah. weirdest top mover of the week, Shivan Meteor Foils out of Time Spiral, Re- Time Spiral Remastered, $1 to $4, 300% gains. I'm assuming that this is to do with the 10th Doctor because it's a suspend card. I don't can't think of any other reason it would be drained out. There aren't. There's only original foils and TSP foils, as far as I know, because I think it's a list card. It is on the list. It was in a dual deck. And the the Doctor partner combos don't seem to be being tracked well on EDH Rex Commander uh, stats. Very difficult. You have to dig down on the Doctor itself to see, and then you can't see what cards are associated with it. So I think they're having trouble with that with that stats handling and it's possible that some of the doctor related trend lines are being missed as a result yeah there's no near mint foils for the original planar chaos version uh let's see did somebody buy all these recently uh no there was just none to be had of the planar chaos foil but none of them are super high priced there yeah i imagine this is just Somebody looked at Planar Chaos Foils and said, well, since there's no near mint ones, I'll switch over to the uh, remastered ones and get some good ones there. Because, you you know, you get lightly played, you're you're rolling some real dice. The thing is, like, this card doesn't really... It it does 13 damage to a creature for three mana. So unless you're fooling around with the 10th Doctor, this is not a card you're going to prioritize in EDH. I I think just anything with time counters might have its day in the sun because... We all want to get timey-wimey about things. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, I, yeah, I won't be surprised to see other time uh, suspend cards have a, a renaissance. Top Magic Online Movers of the Week. Gix Yagamoth Praetor at a bro. 5.69 ticks to 8.92. 57% gains there on the back of heavy standard play. Magus of the Moon at a time spiral. 13.2 to 21.5 ticks. That's 63% gains as a heavily used modern sideboard card in things like black red scam blue red Merktide, and crashing rhinos cephalid coliseum out of odyssey 0.9 ticks to 2.48 that's 175 percent gains and i did notice motion on this card in foil in paper as well and it looks like it's legacy a legacy deck and talion uh making that motion happen moving on over to cards to watch i've got three selections this week I'm going to go with Oger Axonil Deepest Might Showcase, the card that is showing up as a four of in the Pioneer Red deck, is a mythic out of a recent set that also has EDH legs. It's in 3,000 decks on EDH Rex so far. It's seeing a smattering of standard play, and if it continues to see more standard play, where it's getting four of standard, four of Pioneer, plus the EDH demand, I could very easily see the showcase foils, which are very cool looking. Uh, going 11 to 20 on the 12 to 18 month timeline. And really it could be anywhere in the 6 to 18 month, I suppose. Yeah, I can I can totally see this. It's a the Mythic version. It's already got uh, some really cool applications in Commander that we alluded to earlier. There's 
a lot of ways to abuse this card if you, your incidental damage becomes uh, obscene. I have seen people drop uh, mana barbs with this in play and just start cackling madly while the whole table just bum rush the poor fool. And you, But you play these cards in order to get exactly that reaction because every time you tap a, a mana, you're going to take four. So uh, I can see this card feeling underpriced. Um, normally, I am a little shy about picking up cards that are still in print. Generally speaking, I want to wait longer for cards to hit their low point that uh, the commander booster, the collector booster era has taught me to wait more than three months. But this one, given you know where it is and what it is, I can see it coming down another couple dollars, but I think it will eventually get back to the 20 because they'll, they'll keep printing things that do incidental damage and everything that does that that's red will make uh, Ogier Axonil look that much better. I think Ogier is to red decks what Mondrock is to token decks. It's just an auto-include in the themes. It does. It does feel that way. And they're going to keep printing similar stuff. Like, they, like there's a lot of ways to make extra tokens, but you end up running them all. Like, I'm not, I haven't cut any of those yet. I'm just... In Ginny Fey, I run Parallel Lives and Anointed Procession and Mondrock. And doubling season, yes. right? Like I don't, I haven't cut yes. any of that stuff yet. So unless it's a, a relatively weak one, I'm not concerned about its its longer term legs. It also doesn't look like the kind of thing that's going to have an easy reprint home anytime soon, unless they pull the shieldred trick where they just reprint it right away. But I, it doesn't feel like that's likely to occur at all. And uh, the other thing is, you know, you were talking about being gun shy about recent picks, but if we look at these top paper movers. Last March of the Ents. There's a lot of standard. The One yeah. Ring. Well, not just standard, but like printings from this year. Last March of the Ents, the One Ring, Sunfall, Gix, Yawgmoth, Praetor, Clever Concealment, Jace the Perfected Mind, Arwen, Minas Tirith. That's all new stuff. So it's not it's not about, you know, old and unpre- unreprinted is obviously your, you know, the golden ring that we're all striving for. But if demand overwhelms supply, you can still get there. And, and this has been shown again and again and again. And it's also a lot easier for a foil showcase mythic to get there right. than it is for, you know, a standard rare in regular. Now, I will say that I almost went for just the regular mythics, which are currently at $8 instead of 12 because... No, you'd want to be at the, the special ones. Well, because the, the sta- if it's standard and pioneer that drives it and the mythic isn't that much demand, it could easily go 10 to 20 just in regular version. And it just widens the addressable market for you. Well, uh, and one other thing I want to point out is that uh, All Will Be One came out in February of last year. So that's had, you know, things from there like uh, Gix or Clever Concealment, those are, or Jace, the Perfected Mind, those are those cards I had, did have six to nine months to hit their lows, and now they're coming back up because I, I believe at one point, I told people, ah, oh, you should look out for Jace. He's only $8 right now. I think he's got a good chance to go up, and that fool kept dropping. Yep. So, I, but then, again, on the other hand, I have a, a, a standard pick from uh, Lost Caverns of Ixalan right now as well, so I'm about to uh, say why I think <laughs> we might be on that right that point as well. Yeah, if, you're, if your borderless rare foil can get there, then I think my showcase foil might have a chance. But tell me about... Now, let's... Tell me about yours. Yeah. The number one card from Lost Caverns of Ixalan on EDH Rec is Roaming Throne. And it is in 39,000 commander decks already, and it's been out less than three months. 
This is a colorless card that basically says, do your commander's awesome thing twice. And it's not just Panharmonicon. It's not like have an equipment that you have to put on it. It's not a uh, an extra card where you have to have extra mana. This is just a creature that protects itself and it does the thing your commander does twice whenever your commander does it. Or if you have a typo deck, it's going to copy everything. So there's a lot of really, really disgusting interactions with this card, and that is why it is the most popular card from the set. Number two is only in 15,000 decks. So this is crazy popular, and it goes in everything. It literally goes in everything. Throw it in your dinosaur deck. This would be wonderful in your Atraxa deck, because now you get the second populate on. Uh, I've got it in two different commander decks right now, and I don't have it in some others because I haven't gotten around to buying enough copies, but I really should have this in just about every deck because it just makes everything better. And I think that the borderless foil versions especially have a great chance to go from their current price of $20 to around $35 in the next year or so, especially because there's only 34 copies in all conditions for the borderless foil. On TCG player anyway. I haven't looked at uh, overseas sites because mostly TCG is where uh, the majority of our card buying happens these days. I can certainly confirm that every when I cracked some cavern CBs and these were floating high and I sold them gladly and quickly. Every version of this I threw up sold basically within 24 hours. It is very, very popular. Um, I can tell you that my play on these is over in Japan. I currently am staring at a cart that has... 11 copies of a Japanese foil borderless at an average of four and a half dollars a piece. You're a monster. <laughs> <laughs> this is like that sweet spot type of card. Mondrock is, is one of these. Uh, Solfim is one of these. Typically you want mythics more than rares, obviously, but the anything, because this has such high demand, it, it will functionally act like a mythic in, in this circumstance. And Japan doesn't have any use for this card at all because they barely play EDH. So this is the kind of stuff you want to be buying overseas. At your price, can it go 20 to 35 as a foil borderless rare? Trendline is... It's a $20 borderless foil rare right now while it's still being opened and still in its cycle. Like we're about to rotate out of opening this at local stores for drafts and whatnot. I think it's got good legs for it, but I would I would hear you on this. Opening weekend, I was selling them over 20. It then got down as low as 11. Now it's already up to 18 or 19, and you're calling it at 20 to continue on to 35. I liked it a lot more a month ago when you could pick them up closer to 10. You know, 10 to 20, True. obviously. This might be a plateau. I thought it was going to get lower. <laughs> That's why I waited. But now that it's up, gone up to 20, when I wasn't looking over the holiday... You know, now you better get your personal copies while you can. And it's, and it's going to be trick. I mean, standard is longer. Like, Lost Caverns regular boxes are supposed to be available for three years, right? I don't know about the whole three years, but yes, I see where you're coming that from. That doesn't mean that there's going to be multiple print runs, per se. But in theory, right. the set Especially the set with the, uh, com- the uh, collector boosters where you would get these versions from, because you yeah. wouldn't find these. We, have, the... we still have no evidence that CBs have ever gone back to press. So, I like it. I, I think it's probably... Mo- I'm going to guess that when we take a look at this on a year-end review, it's going to end up going 20 to 28 or something. Totally reasonable. 
But I know that I need to go buy two or three more personal copies. And when I went to do that, I was like, when the hell did this happen? And the answer is, like you said, it was a lot cheaper before. But instead of taking six months to get to its low, it took six weeks to get to its low point. Well, let, and people just kept buying the card. Let, let me see what it's going to cost me to pick you up an English copy in foil. It looks like <laughs> looks like we're talking about a five dollar discount for the English copies in Japan. So like fifteen dollars instead of twenty. This is the kind of card, and this is a personal thing. Like if somebody put it down in Japanese, I'd be like, oh my god! Like there's so much text on the stupid card. Please just let me hang on. Let me pull up my phone and get Scryfall out so I can tell what it does. <laughs> You know the most phones you can just take a picture and it tells you exactly what an object is, right? I've I've got those those apps too. It's just that there's so many to keep up with and uh you know, I I just I've really come off of the foreign language train. I used to be real big on that, but now it's like, no, I'm old. I don't have every card memorized. I just want it in English so I know what it does. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I can get you an English copy for 15 instead of 20, but that, it doesn't. No, you. They 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 know the tricks over in Japan that you know the, a lot of people think the way you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they mark the English copies closer to North American pricing. No, you'll be able to pick these up for you said under five dollars <laughs> yeah, for, for Japan? the Japanese borderless for Japanese language. Yeah. yeah, so you'll be able to sell these uh, for what 15 or 20 on ebay and yeah. just you know keep rolling those are the situations i'm constantly reporting in our sales reporting channel is stuff where yeah I'm, I'm not getting a premium on japanese a lot of the time but i got it so low it doesn't matter like i don't mind right. i don't care if i have to undercut the english if i'm still tripling up i mean your triple up is its own form of premium all right so here's another borderless foil my second pick is the one ring borderless foil this is the easiest one to get in theory you get them out of the gift bundles and every single gift bundle has one. So when that was announced, everybody was like, well, those won't be worth anything because gift bundles are everywhere. <laughs> Except the Lord of the Rings gift bundles are like $100 plus or something. Let me just see what... Weren't they on sale recently? Like mm-hmm. our whole Discord lit up because they were... TCG had a sale or something? Mm, I don't recall that detail specifically, no. Uh, let me just find what current pricing is yeah the gift bundle market price on tcg player is a hundred dollars right now and that's wild and you can currently get the borderless foil one ring for 40 bucks you're getting eight set boosters in those gift bundles i think we got them for the pro traders i'd have to go back and double check i know i bought some from target at 65 so i think whatever price we had for the pro traders was below that and I have a feeling, given where the trend lines are pushing on all versions of the One Ring, that even these, which are in in deeper supply than everything else, are going to push. I think these are going to go... First of all, this is the cheapest, good-looking foil version of the card. Right. It's good art, right? The It is and, good and art. The, and, the, and the foil extended art originals are still holding close to 500 So that's not comparable. Totally different price tier. Surge foils are comparable, but they're pushing up towards, going to push up towards 100 themselves. And the borderless poster foils, we're talking about disappearing under 350. So I have a feeling these are going to go 40 to 60 between the general demand profile for the one ring and the fact that this is a really good looking version. Yeah, it's in every gift bundle, but unless they we hear news that they're printing more gift bundles, that's not going to matter much. 
Now, if they do print more gift bundles, which is not possible, but given the resistance that they got on making that promotional scenario for LGSs where they were going to give them some holiday product and the estate for Tolkien pushed back on the basis that they didn't want to cheapen things, I'm getting the impression that that the only products you're going to see on shelves are the ones we already know about. Yeah, we're going to get more of the, the regular set, uh, but we're not going to get more of the holiday edition. And the bundles do seem unlikely. And if that's true and stays true, I think these go 40 to 60. This, is, this thing's in I think 40, to, 40 to 60 on the Bordeaux foils. It's in 107,000 decks on EDH rec, and by this time next year, it'll be, two, yeah. it'll be 200K plus. I can't argue with a $20 bump. I mean, this is the, every version of the One Ring is at a ridiculous level. And this particular one is, you know, super sweet. It looks great. You know, what's not to love? It's a four of in multiple decks in Modern. It's a four of in some decks in Legacy. It's a cube card. It's a vintage card. It's just a cool collectible for for Lord of the Rings fans. It's got great art. The regular frame version, the non-foil, is something like $65 on TCG Player right now. So this is the cheapest version, uh, among the cheapest versions you can get. And if you, so I would imagine this one will be one to catch up to all of the others in not very much time. Want to talk about Merkwood Bats, huh? One of my favorite cards. It's a sweet, sweet card. If you could add a color to Jenny Fay, you'd add black just for oh, this yeah. card. Uh, we have talked about, uh, you picked the scroll foils a few weeks ago, and I went to pick up some extras, and I, fa- I saw that the foil regular frame versions from the regular set, nothing special, just fo- uh, common and foil, is up a dollar in the last month. And so there's still uh, about 100 vendors for it, and some of those people do have a fairly deep inventory. But it's flying off shelves, if you'll pardon the pun. And I think that it's going to end up being a $5 common pretty soon. Uh, it's already in 76,000 EDH rec decks. It is good in all kinds of strategies. Uh, let's not forget that it's when uh, you create or sacrifice the token. So we're about to get a bunch of junk tokens in Fallout that want you to sacrifice them. There's a lot of ways to abuse this card, and, you know, it's a four-mana 2-3 flyer, so that tells you they'd probably tried it cheaper. It's like, no, that's too good at cheap, too cheap, you know, got to make it expensive. And there's a, a just a lot going on here. The recent rise where you could get in at, like, 50 cents around Thanksgiving, those times are way gone, and now we're up to two bucks, and this is a, you know, again... I'm telling you about this. I would have liked to have kept an eye on it well enough to know, oh, it's 50 cents now. It's about to be $2. I would have liked to get in at 50 cents, but I'm not opposed to getting in at $2 on this card that's got a lot of climbing left to do. There are some vendors that still have dollar copies, both of borderless foils and regular foils on TCG Player. Shipping is the dollars. That's what often gets you to two. Uh, my in on Merkwood Bats was borderless non-foil opening weekend in June at $0.35 cents a piece. That's the stack that's on my desk. And a bunch of pro traders did, made similar moves. Other people told us that the card, you know, it's just common or the card's not that good for EDH purposes. Trust me, I play this in food. This is a, like an on-site kill. Food! All the time. Yes, because in this is, salmon, there's some rules, and one of those rules is kill this card. Yeah, because in salmon Frodo, I can make and just and and sack 
food tokens at will. <laughs> so the, yeah, Mirkwood Bats is nasty and it's nasty all over the place and it's always going to be nasty. And if they reprint it with a different name and a secret layer in a, in a year or two, that wouldn't surprise me at all. In fact, I think that's the most likely occurrence of a reprint. But God help us if they give us another the functional reprint with a different name. Ugh, now you have two Merkwood bats in a deck? I would imagine they just do it the reverse <laughs> of what they did with the Godzilla cards, right? Where it just says new name and then below it in brackets Merkwood bats. Yeah, they could they could reskin it. That would be fine. But the, my point I was making is that a secret layer has a $40 minimum cost basis. So when you take a common and the only yeah. reprint of a common and say a five-year time horizon is a $40 product where there's five cards, the implied cost basis of the Merkwood bats in that circumstance is eight. You know what I'm saying? So I get that, you. that's not going to help get you to more. It's not going to push the pr- pr- price down on $2 copies. <laughs> that's not how that's going to work. So I like Merkwood Bats. I, d- I don't know if I like Foils at 2. This is similar to the Roaming Throne. There was a better price back down the road. Um, but I would just look, I would, you know, look for deals. Like look, look for a vendor on TCG Player that posts 10, 12, 20 copies or something where you get the shipping for free, basically and you're flying then you know that's that's going to be the you don't want to buy these one at a time and pay 99 cents each time preach that is i i do often look for people who've got it underpriced but high shipping but they have like 10 copies available those are my favorite vendors thank you for keeping my uh, average costs in line i appreciate you i've got a third selection to talk about this week we noticed above in the top paper movers that we had oh no chromatic orrery chromatic orrery the lcc card the foils we noted went 26 to 70 60k adh rec so that got me looking at the other of those cards and the one that caught my eye is coat of arms with the Vol- really sweet vulcan baga art vulcan baga is a master fantasy painter and Vulcan's uh, coat of arms here is down to just 30 listings starting around 16 or $17 on TCG Player, very quickly ramping up into the mid-high 20s. So I'm going to call this to go 16 to $30 in the next 12 to 18 months on the basis that this is in 78,000 EDH rec decks. Tribal decks are doing very well, or typal decks are doing very well in EDH lately dinosaurs vampires merfolk etc and this is the kind of card that slides right into those decks very easily this kind of card they're going to print versions of every couple of years for sure but this particular version is looking relatively rare as a uh, foil premium out of the cbs for lci and the chromatic orrery is a mythic this is only a rare so it's going to take a little longer to drain but this is a card with plenty of action on the EDH scene and with just 30 listings left and no particularly deep inventory among vendors. I think this is going to inch its way up to 30 bucks. Having this go 17 to 30 seems quite reasonable. We're, we're seeing uh, what some of the others could do. This one, the foils and the non-foils are priced almost exactly the same. They're almost exactly the same in terms of availability. Does anybody, uh, only two people have four, only one person has four uh, copies available. So the inventory is not very deep. And uh, if you haven't played with this card, it is applicable to everyone. So if you have, so I have my zombie deck. If you have a random zombie, uh, then all of my zombies buff your zombie. But we tend to play things that, you know, swarm very nicely 
and you know all of my goblins get plus 20 plus 20 i don't mind if you have one goblin that's plus 20 plus 20 you know what i mean so yeah this is a a solid pick i forgot about this subset of cards that's uh listed as box toppers i believe but part of the lost caverns commander set i gotta go back and look at the math article and see how common these were in the collector boosters and see what the drop rates were but right now you know there's only 80 vendors and almost nobody has multiple copies so and that's for foils and non-foils it's not going to take a lot of sales to get this card to be inching up and in fact uh, this was available as cheap as $11 if you got in around Thanksgiving so you know once again we're identifying this was cheap, and now it's coming up. This is supposed to be the slow time, James. Why is everything going up in price right now? <laughs> Apparently, magic's not as dead as some would have you think. Let's move on over to the our, our weekly topic and explore that idea a little further. Uh, we'll do our second part of the 2023 Magic Year in Review, this time not looking at our Cards to Watch selections from the last 18 months, but looking at uh, how Magic did as a whole. You know, what what was released? How was it received? What kind of interesting, notable events or scandals unfolded in the year 2023? We kicked things off in January, on January 13th, with the release of Dominaria Remastered, which was a premium set of a type that I think most people feel is largely unnecessary. Outside of Commander Masters cycle and the Modern Horizons 2 cycle, I think most Magic players would agree that these block-specific reprint vehicles are cash grabs that are muddling the schedule, end up reprinting things a little too often, don't really have a you know strong market impetus to exist. And even though that's true of this set, there are a bunch of cool cards and cool versions of cards in the Dominaria Remastered release that are likely to make folks money. I, from my perspective, they got it right with Time Spiral Remastered and the rarity of the OBFs there. I think it was one every 27 packs for the foil version of their old borders. And there was no CBs. And Right. I, 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 think, I don't think you have to avoid CBs, but I think that if you're going to do these kind of we want another premium product to make even more money by reprinting cards and charging a premium price. I think that they need to dial back the supply. Not a ton. I think even a 15 or 20% adjustment would make a big difference in terms of how much ends up sitting in warehouses and needs to be destroyed. I've seen, I've just heard too many stories of the last few years about product getting destroyed all over the world. You know, they, they send it to Australia and whatever doesn't sell gets destroyed. They, the stuff that they send to Russia doesn't sell out and they just tell them to burn it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, and we know, we knew that there was a bunch of Modern Horizons 2 that was found in a landfill in Texas. And I mean, this all just adds up to they're printing more than the community will absorb, no matter what they put in it. It's also, oh, yeah. Uh, it's also worth saying that, like you said, the, the reprinting has gotten, uh, kind of ridiculous like they said "Ooh, you liked that let's give you exactly the same thing dominary remastered has a reprint of old border foil yawgmoth yep. and if you remember when time spot remastered came out that was like there were several of the old border foils that uh, ended up in several hundred dollars making that you know semi-attractive as a product but then they went and hit us like again 
with, you know, more of the card. And sometimes with the exact same art, the only difference is the expansion symbol in this case. And you can get, you know, the old Border Forder Yawgmoth for $22 now from Dominaria Remastered. Whereas the Time Spiral Remastered Old Border Foil is down to 80 uh, from where it was. And quite frankly, that's probably not done falling. We still had people that ordered through group buys with us, Dominary Remastered, Sealed Product, and flipped it very quickly in the first week for you know a relatively modest profit, but the profit was there. The, I, I think that with Ravnica Remastered, it's going to be the same kind of deal. If, if shops are motivated to not open a lot of it, <clears throat> you're going to see it come and go relatively quickly, and we're going to be on into the uh, the Ravnica set, standard set, very quickly as the hype cycle on the Re- Ravnica Remastered fades. So last February, we had Phyrexia All Will Be One kick off the final arc of the Phyrexian Invasion saga, and it was a very well-received set, had a bunch of very cool... Uh, cards included the cbs had a shieldred reprint from just a few months back people were a little upset about that but it turns out wizards uh was smarter than the market and almost all versions of shieldred are pushing up into the 60 to 100 dollar range and looks like it very much needed the reprint <laughs> especially since it was re- it was a pretty hard uh that borderless concept art was not easy to find in those packs anyway uh i know i didn't pull one they honestly, they could use more reprints of it. Shouldered is one of the most expensive cards in standard right now. You know, it's also quite popular in other formats as well. But in standard, you're looking at one of the most busted cards people have ever managed to put down for four mana. And it just rewards everything you want to do and, and takes away all the others. I'm not going to be shocked when we get Shouldered reprinted sometime soon because Shouldered's still got two years to go in standard. And however expensive it gets, you know, that's going to be the headline for this whatever standard reprint product they decide to do. They can certainly put that into a secret layer and it will be gangbusters. I think they'd be more likely to do uh, a special guest or a list in order to goose uh, purchases of whatever set they want to, you know, give a little bump to because that's some lovely little Eevee. That was also the... The most interesting ancillary product of the year was probably the Phyrexia All Will Be One oil slick bundles, which mm. people, a lot of stores got less than they were expecting. They were they were much more heavily allocated than people were expecting them to be, and the oil slicks went absolutely crazy for about... We got some good group buy on that, didn't oh, we? Oh, very good group buy on that, and yeah, made, I made, I don't know a lot 1500 in profit or something in like two weeks <laughs> on on oil slicks getting flipped just locally here in canada which is not usually my mo i'm not like a huge canadian to canadian canada to canada vendor most of my stuff goes to the u.s so uh oil slicks was was definitely a high point both in terms of an interesting treatment they're really handsome cards uh a really great ancillary product them dialing back supply a little bit so that it stayed important those prices did then later fall off uh as the hype cycle rotated but the you know those are going to be i wouldn't be surprised at all to see those bundles be two or three hundred dollars down the road because it's just going to be really hard to find. that sounds about right yeah and they have the like oil slick swamps i sell for eight or nine dollars a piece all the time now oh the lands are so pretty yeah 
I sold tons of those lands. Um, so we had that. And then there was March of the Machine, April 21st. Another solid set. They did the foil borderless uh, serialized Praetors with unique art, which is a moment that we have referenced throughout the rest of the year when we've been complaining about how they don't do that enough. Uh, I think there's a lot Man. to be said for doing unique art on premium versions of cards. Um, I hope they do more of it. It will help. If, if they want to keep pushing serialized, which they clearly do, you know, it's clearly you know, until they come up with another idea. And there aren't that many other ideas on the tree to steal from the sports card industry. Uh, if they're going to do it, put a little extra money into it so that they are true chase cards that stay chase. That's that's my thinking. Like the schematic thing they did with Brothers War wasn't enough for me because I don't think that those are impressive enough versus just the regular art in retro foil version that it's super compelling. But when you can only get the art on the serialized, that is compelling and, and they should definitely do more of it. I mean, we then, skipping over Aftermath, for this part of the conversation Good. let's just say very bad product concept everybody agrees too small of a set not enough impact price was too high they'll probably never do anything like it again uh exactly like that the we have then get on to lord of the rings june 23rd release depending on who you talk to either the number one or number two best-selling magic set of all time the free press they got alone should force them to reconsider how they evaluate intangibles in terms of how they assist the brand because the story of people chasing the one of one one ring the guy here in toronto that found it him selling it to post malone post malone going on joe rogan podcast to talk about that i mean you literally can't buy that kind of promo, especially for a dead-in-the-water, boring-as-hell company like Hasbro. It was basically their Barbie moment of the year. You know, the Barbie movie did wonders for Mattel, and Lord of the Rings did wonders for Magic the Gathering. And another example of unique art on a premium and a hyper-premium, you know, this unobtainium that I've been preaching about for a decade really driving home <laughs> the chase component of the collectibles market which is frankly the most important thing the, the FOMO of not being able to participate in a fun hunt like that where we all knew it was a lottery but you and I calculated the odds is better odds than any other lottery you're likely to play than the lottery yeah one in 3.3 million so well, yeah, but not really because you can't. You're not going to buy an individual pack. You're going to. You, most people bought a box, going hunting. So you know it. It is what it is. Um, it it's also worth stating that not only was there the one of one ring, there was also the three sets of rings, yep. which was thematic, awesome, and a very worthy set of consolation prizes. If you didn't hit the one of one, you could hit one of the three hundred, seven hundred, or nine hundred. Yep. While and while. Uh, I know I have talked smack about how sometimes it's uh, 100 serialized, sometimes it's 500, sometimes it's been 300. This is a case where 
the lore and the story and everything adds up to you 100% did this the right way. Like Lord of the Rings represents just a, a phenomenal combination of having a great idea and doing just about everything perfectly. And that includes the holiday release. Like I can't imagine another set where you and I would be complimentary of the fact that they release a set in summer and then they come back in December, late November, whenever it was that they actually uh, released this and gave us basically the same card, exactly the same cards, only with a new frame. And we were just like, yes, this is great. We're going to make a bunch of money off of this too. We've been nothing but uh, impressed by the scroll frame. And the only thing that blipped was the uh, extended, the foil extended arts that were only available in the sample packs, but they have surge foil versions of that here in the holiday release. So that's not really going to be a problem for much longer. It's the only misstep in the holiday product and just a baffling one. I don't understand why they do this to themselves, generate <laughs> so much negative PR in the community when it's just unnecessary. The One Ring Showcase Scroll Foil is a very handsome card. Why did you need to print a surge foil of the extended art? It's it just completely unnecessary. Even if they had done, done it such that you could get non-foil One Ring in extended art, but left the foils untouched, that would have been fine too. There just was no, absolutely no need for surge foils of the cards that were available only in the sampler packs the summer previous. It just kicked a bunch of people in the nuts, right? Like I pulled, I bought, it's, it's, yeah. I bought a cheap German foil extended art for a few hundred bucks and sold it for 1300. And the English version of that is now what five. So, um, yeah, it's, it's bad. Like they, they reprinted the, uh, reskinned, uh, what they call it? The Realms and Relics uh, set. Yeah, it's... They just did exactly the same thing that was super duper rare in one set. And then they came back and made it super much more common. And the price is just cratered. And people who were holding, because they're like, oh, this is valuable. Like, oh, no, it's not. <laughs> I pointed out to the pro traders the other day that People, people seem to think that the Surge Foil Extended Art One Ring would crater the Foil Extended Arts and they would be equal in price or that the Foil Extended Arts would be below the Surge Foils, like on the premise that Surge Foils is even better. But it doesn't work that way. Collectibles does care about overall rarity. And the fact is those Foil Extended Arts you and I calculated are extremely rare compared to the Surge Foils. So they've still been selling. Like... October 25th, one sold for eight fifty, And then from November 25th to now, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven have sold near 500 So there are clearly people that are still responding to the fact that those are the rarest version of the ring after posties. That there just are. There's only 15 listings on TCG Player. Yeah. Right? And it's not like they're undercutting each other by 100 bucks a shot to get down to surge foil pricing. It's just not happening because they are so rare. So it was a bad choice. It was a bunch of negative PR. It's not quite the disaster that people thought it is, but it still cut the price of these things in half. I mean, they if they had not done that, these might have been headed from 1000 to 1500 instead of the other way around. Yeah. 
And it's just a bad choice because they didn't they didn't need to do it. They could have changed the art and done it as a surge foil if they really wanted to, and nobody would have had a problem with that either. We all knew the reprints were coming. Right. I was of the, the thinking in midsummer when we were first talking about the holiday release that there would be more new cards and that maybe some of the main set cards would not catch a reprint, but that's not how it played out. They just did they added in some versions of the the scene bundle cards where there were some new cards. So it was like 40 new cards in total or something. Right. But they didn't remove any of note. And what really puts it over the top as still being a good product, despite the one bad choice, is the borderless poster versions are gorgeous. Some of the best art of the year. And the serials have been very popular. I think serial, the one ring, borderless poster foils, you're talking thousands of dollars to get your hands on. Yeah, uh, one of our mods... Uh, did that he bought one for i think 32 and so- turned around and sold it for like five there's there's only a hundred of these right not 500 correct there's only a hundred of each of the posters yeah so if you want to if you want a borderless poster search for uh, a borderless poster foil serialized you are, will be only one of a hundred people in the world to own one and and that's what they should I, I like that a lot better, frankly, especially in premium product to only have a hundred. I right. don't think that people do math in their head successfully enough <laughs> that it matters whether you have a hundred, <laughs> two fifty, or five hundred. It, it's all a lottery to most people, and if they're only buying a few packs, there's no discernible difference in their experience or 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 their success quotient. You know, if your if your chances go from 0.3% to 2%, it doesn't matter. It's still so low. It's basically not going to happen. It's very different when it when your chances go from 3% to 30%. You know, that's a meaningful right. difference. So anyway, going on with the rest of the year, we had Commander Masters in August. A lot of people were disappointed that it didn't include more heavy hitter $50 plus mythics. But we just did a fresh group buy on these recently at a very good price. And cracking some of those CBs, I was looking at them going, this set is just as good as Double Masters. It's going to play out very, very similarly. The textured foils started real high and have gotten real low. Hence why I've started picking some of them. Because those are good looking cards in hand. They're a little tricky double sleeved because it's not that noticeable. But as collectibles, they're very lovely. And some of that close-in portrait art has grown on me for sure, and it's just a good—it's just a good set. There's a lot of good cards, um, medium to good, I'd rate that one. And then we got two excellent standard sets back to back: Wilds of Eldraine and Lost Caverns of Ixalan had good draft formats, have generated solid standard environments. We're seeing the the result of that with standard uh, action on a lot of relevant cards from the last year picking up as we head into a standard pro tour in the not-too-distant future. And the themes of both sets, their premiums that were available, were very well-received. The anime art borderless cards for things like Smothering Tithe and Doubling Season in Eldraine, and then the dinosaurs and uh, Jurassic Park action for Lost Caverns. All the dinosaur hype, all the vampire hype, driving tons of specs for EDH. And really giving MGG Finance uh, a good cap to the end of the year. I mean, there's a lot of great things going on, and we're 
learning how to adapt to the reprint era that we currently live in. We're getting better at not getting caught too flat-footed by things. I think the one that, you know, we, you and I have spent a lot of time talking about some of their reprint choices, like what they choose to reprint, what they choose not to. And uh, that is fairly mystifying to us. Uh, we just got to say that probably, would you say it's accurate to say that because of uh, Magic and especially the success of Lord of the Rings, that Magic had its best year ever? according to what they had to say before they decided to lay everybody off? We'll see when the end of year results come out for Hasbro, but I suspect that Magic has had its best year ever. Okay. That may, that would make sense to me, you know, given that they are selling a lot of products at premium pricing, and even with the mistakes that they make, and there are plenty of mistakes, uh, the core game remains incredibly healthy, and Commander lets you do basically anything you want to it and we've got some cool things coming up this year and then next year in 2025 uh the final fantasy crossover promises to be lord of the rings level you know holy biscuits we're really doing that no i i don't actually think that's true i think final fantasy in our really i think final fantasy in our market will be a lesser event than lord of the rings by a lot i think that the final fantasy Magic the Gathering Venn diagram is pushed further out than the Lord of the Rings one, but it doesn't matter because Final Fantasy is only the second most important collaboration that year that does have a huge Venn diagram overlap. The Marvel collaboration. Okay, yeah, you're right. Marvel. Marvel I in mean, 2025 yeah. is going to be... There's nobody that doesn't like Spider-Man or Iron Man or Hulk or something in that universe. They're, you're a fan of one of those characters, even if you th- don't like the others. And for sure, people, <laughs> it's going to draw in a bunch of external attention. They're going to do something with the Infinity Gauntlet or something as a chase, you know, chase for the jams. Then you get the Gauntlet or something. We've talked about this before, but I want to want to finish up this year. We've also had uh, Doctor Who came and went relatively quickly. EDH Rec isn't tracking the stats properly, as far as I can tell. The... But there's a lot of good cards in that set and a lot of good reprints. And we've seen multiple of the Surge Foils in this set already targeted. It's been a handful of cards every week for the last six weeks. People pick off things like Beast Within and some of the the lands and so forth that just got too, too cheap. They had a relatively shorter print run from everything I've heard about Doctor Who because the pre-order period was not strong. So they dialed it back a bit. And I would imagine that some of the key cards from that set are going to be pretty hard to find in five years because I don't see them going back to reprint them as is. Agreed. There's also secret layer to consider. Uh, I think we had a year of good secret layers overall. There were pretty consistently layers that made people money, either through ordering early and flipping early or picking just really good layers, you know, Going through bouncing Jinji ideas Ito. off each other, yeah, Jinji Ito, stuff like that. Picking the best of the best, the top one or two each time has been pretty successful. You're not going to make like 300% returns on that stuff, but you can get 15 to 30% after fees and shipping a lot of the time. Like you're getting in at 40 or 50 and you're getting out at 70 to 90. And sometimes you have to take a 55 or a 65 here and there. And sometimes you get caught, you know, sometimes you just decide you get greedy going for the bundles or whatever, and you get caught with a bunch of dead weight. I've been trying to avoid that, even though the discounts are something like 
20 to can be anywhere from 15 to 23 percent to get one of everything most releases if they have six or seven releases i only like one to three of them so for instance on this last one i I just got the dinosaur times four and the galaxy foils times six or eight i think and i'm just going to continue down that path just until until it doesn't work take take the stuff because that's reasonable often even if you get like something like the dinosaurs i would expect to if it doesn't go up It'll at least be flat, and I'll be able to unload it locally with very minimal loss. And then if the Galaxy Foils are up 30 or 40%, the whole project is fine. They're they're very small now because right. they went from the boxes to the flat envelopes. That makes it very easy to reship. Thank God. That makes a tremendous difference <laughs> because you can put them in between two bubble mailers and just tape the whole thing up, and you're good to go. Uh, and in the in the U.S., you can use you know priority mail envelopes and so forth. So... Yeah, it's, it's good overall. And now at the tail end of the year, they've told us that Secret Layer is going to have a cap on print runs. It doesn't mean that every layer, as we said last week, is going to have the same print run or that the print runs are going to be small and designed to sell out. It just means that they're not going to go to the press twice. So they're going to estimate how much they think each run needs to be. And if it sells out, it sells out. They're not going to print more, which means some... Yeah. Some of the best of the best are going to sell out and are going to take off. So it's going to be picking, you know, having the discussion in our Discord. We provide notes. The members talk about it and come up with their own ideas, leading to, you know, the hive mind's best guess at what's going to work. Probably going to work out even better this year than last. I think so. I don't I don't think that, you know, as we talked about uh, when they first announced it, that they know the data, they know exactly how many of each secret layer sold, and they can estimate, you know, based on what it's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised to hear that the Princess Bride was in the top five for secret layers just because that's an awesome piece of IP with some sweet reskins. I don't think anything has probably topped the Praetors, given uh, what we've seen, but... Who knows, man? And that since they know how many to go for, they can say, all right, like you said, this one sold out. Turns out it was a little more popular than we expected. And the resell on that will be immediate in my case. If I've got one that's sold out, as soon as I've got it in my hands, I am putting that sucker online. I'm, I think the Angel Secret Layer paid off. I think people ordered Angels that. Angels has paid off well. I think that paid off. That was ordered last November of 2022, if I'm not mistaken. And those are currently sitting at market price of $318. They were ordered at $150. So massive win there for people that went in on them. There's a new secret layer drop that was just uh, teased today that looks like it's going to be a Rin and Siri deck that's going to have an anointed procession flip borderless version that has twi- a two-headed dog carrying a stick, cute as shit, and I will be going very deep <laughs> on this deck because if there's one thing I've seen in Secret Layer Trend Lines since the first year, it's that pets do well. Cute pets do very well, yes. And I would imagine a lot of people are going to order, a lot of vendors are going to be ordering double-digit amounts of that deck, and it's going to sell out pretty quick, would be my guess. That seems quite reasonable to me as well. Like we've seen a lot of different versions of cute things do very well in the secret layer. Because from cute to brute, 
Huh. I'm now I'm questioning whether the Angel deck was 100 or 150. Because from Q to Brute, I think, was 150. And it's currently market price 203 on TCG Player. Which, after fees and shipping, isn't all that impressive. But we'll see where it ends up in another six months. But I can tell you that the, the most expensive regular release, I'm pretty sure, is Perfection. Which was a cat release that everybody underestimated. Currently going for market price two twenty five, and then the second most expensive is OMG Kitties, which is at one hundred and seventy four. Angels was one fifty. Okay, but that was a full deck. In terms of the forty dollar right. releases, OMG Kitties and Perfection are the two most expensive. Way more than the Predators. Way more. Okay. So anyway, Animals plus Secret Layer has been a, a winning formula. And it the teasers looked like the art was <laughs> going to be pretty awesome for this. So, yeah. Uh, overall, I think Magic's having a great year. So in terms of criticisms, they need to dial back overall product release schedule. I don't even think it's that much. Product release schedule, I would say cut one premium product off the agenda for the year and I'd be totally happy. Like I get in this current coming year... If they weren't doing Ravnica Remastered this month, the year would look pretty much perfect to me. The reprint process and policy, I think, need some help. I think they need a person interior that is specifically in charge of managing reprints. And that person's job is to just space them out appropriately. So cool. it's very cool that this product and that product both want doubling season within a three-month period. One of them doesn't get it. And that guy works with them to figure out who's going to take it. And they use a different green mythic in the other slot. I don't have a problem with them reprinting stuff every one to three years, depending on how much of a staple it is. You know, something like a smothering tithe. You can't make the argument that you need to wait five years. But something like a doubling season, that's probably in a mana crypt and a mana vault and, and jeweled lotus and stuff. Just put them on a, a 18 to 36 month schedule and everything will be fine. Some of them go a little longer. Some of them are a little earlier. You do new art every time, new treatments, and everything will be totally fine. But it's the things that's really bugging vendors and bugging players is putting out better, strictly better versions six months later, like they did with the extended art foils for Lord of the Rings, and double smashing expensive cards within a very short time frame. Because when you hinge the excitement of opening a product on the presence of an expensive card, but you already know that you're planning on making it much less expensive very soon after, you're injuring the the perception of your game as a collectible. And that's a fine line to walk. We all know it. But pretty much everybody in the community would like to see it dialed back a bit. And I'm sure that there are advocates inside the product teams that feel the same way. They're just getting the pressure from above to keep pushing, keep pushing, keep pushing. My argument has always been, just print a new card. In a lot of these cases where they do, they decide, okay, we're going to have 15 reprints associated with this standard set. There's absolutely nothing saying they have to be reprints. In fact, there are upsides to doing a new card in those slots that is very, very hard to find as like a CB-only mythic, and then a year later you print it somewhere else, or two years later or whatever. But Right. There's, you can easily skip the doubling season the second time this year and be fine. That's It's that easy. Especially when you like you could have waited a one or two sets and put doubling season in Ravnica Remastered. Well, exactly. And, and, they, you know, and, and, they, and they chose not season. to triple tap. So they clearly, when it was, it otherwise would have been an obvious, re, obvious include there. 
so it's not like they can pretend they're not even that they're not even thinking about it. They're just making some poor choices along the way. Uh, in terms of, I would agree with you on that. One, one less remastered and uh, a reprint guru. That'd be an uh, an interesting job, I think. In terms of the digital scene, uh, Magic Online is the ha- in the hands of a third party who's keeping it going as a legacy product because it's a cash cow. Um, and by all accounts, that seems to be going fine. Arena people seem frustrated. Uh, it's always kind of it's always worked for me because I win more than I lose in draft, so I always seem to have more rares and mythics than I need because I don't really play constructed that often. But I can see the people that need to flit and float in and out of metas in multiple formats on there getting frustrated that they constantly have to buy stuff. Um, they also just launched a double-edged sword format recently, which is their like version of vintage. Which is, by all accounts, a very yeah, timeless. F- timeless is a very fun format, but also puts extra pressure on you to have wild cards available that you may not have. So I think they're doing fine with Arena. We are five plus. Yeah, but in Arena, they also need. Oh uh, well, one other thing I'd add about Arena is uh, they just need to ditch Alchemy. Um, the the Arena only. Uh, stuff like they're putting resources into that that they just not very popular format and it's not something you can expand i have long wondered if they thought alchemy was a solution to the parasitic nature of draft like they were thinking i think arena we're just trying to find something that's that you could only do online like generating a random card from your deck uh things like have one card flip into five different things with specialize. There's there's stuff they can do only online, but if they're actually putting design um, manpower into these alchemy designs, I I just feel like that the juice is not worth the squeeze on that. You're it's not giving you enough for what you're putting into it. There have been some pretty silly cards included through that process but i i wonder if what they were aiming for was to address two completely different markets that they thought maybe there were some hearthstone-esque folks that would really like that kind of thing that don't go to their lgs to draft but so arena lets them capture profit from them without sabotaging the draft process at lgs is so that everybody moves to arena to draft but I suspect that Arena is parasitic to draft in, in physical form to some extent. I don't know if it's 7%, 14%, or 21%. And I don't know what the counter percentage is in terms of how much physical product has been sold in Magic from people that started on Arena and then made their way over to paper. And without all of that in front of you on the table, it would be tough to make good decisions. And I wonder if they have sufficient intel on that because... It's tricky to tricky to gather, um, and I've never been very impressed by the market research they seem to put out because it's largely just survey driven, from what I can see. Right, it's very uh, response oriented. The people who care. Uh, there were scandals along the way. The, the most recent one has been, you know, them making a big fuss about how they don't support AI and they're not going to use AI on magic cards. And then them almost immediately having a third-party marketing agency put out a third uh, AI-generated ad for Ravnica Remastered that they said wasn't AI and then had to double back and say, oops, yeah, that was. 
So they have a tendency to just put their foot in their mouth. Um, and they've done it a few different times this year in ways that I think re- were really off-putting to people. The a, a, lo- a lot of their bad PR always seems to be an unforced error. Where it's like, right. you just need to give somebody the time, money, and control to get this right. And, and for or even just uh, telling each other what you're doing before you know you don't put out a statement about AI when you know that your marketing agency is about to use an AI generated set of images to promote your stuff. And I bet you anything that was just that the social media team that was responding to the accusations was aware that they had been told to put out the statements about not supporting AI or not using AI. So they figured, well, there's no way we did that. And then didn't realize that there was a third party agency involved that had not promised to not do that. Yep. And this is, I've seen this in uh, in my day-to-day job. Like I run a digital agency too. So this stuff is under discussion all the time. We've got clients asking for AI stuff. We've got clients that want to pass off real things using AI, they want to show a rendering of something without ever actually having produced it. And it's going to be an issue. It's going to be a major talking point in business circles for years to come. So very curious to see how that all unfolds in the next three to five years. In terms of whether wizards should be using AI on cards, I think that the cost of art from a magic artist is so low versus the, the revenues generated by a set that it is absolutely ridiculous to not just pay that cost. It's that simple. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, they're, the cost of it, and you get all the ancillary bonuses. People get to collect artist proofs. You get uh, sketches you can sell. Original art goes online. Like, that's that's all really awesome things, and they should be doing more of that goodness that a lot of the highlights of the products release schedule the things that are keeping people collecting and getting people excited have been art related it's when they build they bring really fantastic art to the table i become reinvested in this collectible because i know that they are trolling the the whales for dollars i mean their biggest success over the last five years has been figuring out that whales were willing to spend way more money than they had been previously spending. No problem being mined as a whale. I just want quality. I want to get quality for that, for that spend. And then when the trickle down effect is that the magic players of modest means get cheaper cards for standard and so forth, and their rares and mythics in regular form are cheaper. That's just a win-win for everybody. It really is. I mean, they, yeah, there, there's just no reason not to do it that way. And my, my only art beef has really been that they know serialized can be effective with special art. And considering how much extra they're going to sell because of sweet serialized cards, the cost of getting a piece of art done custom for those serial cards. You know, they did it for the rings. They did it for the Praetors. They can do it. They're just being cheap. And they're being cheap with the ostensibly most expensive, most desirable, most chaseable versions of the card. And it's just a, a really 
what's the word I want? Disappointing choice is the word I'm going to use. It's just disappointing that they want to do that. Like, I've got to go get myself a serialized Udvara Hellkite and a serialized Hellkite Tyrant. And I would love for those to be, you know, one of only 500 magic cards in the world with that art. But instead, I have to settle for it being the only magic card with a gold embossed number. Yep. Agreed. The other lingering concern, long-term concern I have with the game is I, I'm curious about whether way less teenagers and young adults play Magic now than they used to. I'm worried that in the era of premium product and whale hunting, they have foregone the onboarding process. And I'm curious whether things like Arena, Lord of the Rings, and Marvel, and Final Fantasy, and Fortnite, and those kind of tie-ins are picking up the slack on that it's possible i'm just not sure if that's true because we're getting to the like my father is 67 this year next year he's going to retire he's going to spend x number of years tinkering around with his collection and slowly selling parts of it he doesn't care about online and then he will pass away and some of the kids will inherit that collection and a bunch of other guys in the boomer class that were spending a bunch of money are going to disappear. And does Magic have enough 20-somethings generating nostalgia 15 years from now in their mid-30s to keep the ball rolling? Is AI plus quantum computers plus 3D going to change the game so radically that it doesn't matter? <laughs> are we all just going to have decks in our living room playing Magic and no longer need to worry about the physical copies? Uh, these are my questions heading into the following, the new year. Man, you're asking a question about like, are they going to do enough to support the local game store model? If like the local game store model even can exist in the current environment. And those are, those are, that's a topic for another day. That's like, that's a lot of time and energy on that topic. I think we're going to have to get the manager of like Mox boarding house on cast this year or something. Have a, have a chat with an extremely successful location. That's, that would be an interesting conversation. I'd like to hear a lot about how to do that because, you know, my my favorite store here in the Bay closed down and I've, I've started going to others, but the constant comparison of the experience I used to have versus the experience I have now, it just, it just bums me out, man. All right. Uh, I think that is a pretty good wrap. I mean, we're heading into a, a year that I expect we'll have a bunch of Solid standard sets, and then we have Modernizes 3, and that will pretty much define the entire year. Uh, how well that set does will have a lot to do with how well the year goes, so we will dig into all that as it appears. Where can folks find you online, my friend? You can find me online on Twitter at Word of Commander or my articles every Friday on mtgprice.com. And you folks can find me on Twitter at mtgcritic as well as via my occasional articles on mtgprice.com, my constant haunting of the Pro Trader Discord. I'd also like to remind our listeners to check out the mtgprice.com Pro Trader service for just $9.99 a month or $109.99 per year. You can get early access to this podcast, fantastic articles by the best MGG finance minds in the business, low-cost group buys, and a super active Discord forum that will drive better returns and save you money playing Magic the Gathering. Once again, MTG Fast Finance is proudly sponsored by Cool Stuff, Inc., where you can find all sorts of cool, nerdy stuff in stock, including all the best in Magic the Gathering singles, sealed product, and a plethora of other collectibles. Please use the promo code FINANCE5 during checkout at CoolStuffInc.com to save 5% off your order and support this podcast. 
That's it for this week, James, but more stuff is always on the horizon. Thank you, Cliff. Thank you, listeners. And we will see all of you next week on another episode of MTG Fast Finance. Thank you.